So in the early 90s, I was involved in a series of protests. Uh, It was a cause I believed in, so I gathered with hundreds of other people as we made our voices heard. Protests have been a part of American culture since the beginning. The Boston Tea Party was a protest against taxation without representation. It wasn't the Boston Coffee Party because they knew better. Artists have been writing protest songs for decades. Think of Fortunate Son by Credence Clearwater Revival, Masters of War by Bob Dylan, Imagine, John Lennon. We have images of protests in our head through history. Maybe you remember the protests in Tiananmen Square in China when that lone Chinese student stood in front of a tank and made his voice heard for democracy. Maybe your mind goes to Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement or women's suffrage in the 18th century, the right to life movement, or even Mohammed Gandhi as he protested British occupation in India. I've come to believe that Jesus' life was a protest in some ways against a culture that was religiously abusive, morally corrupt, a protest against a society that reduced people to commodities and religion that exploited. But I think more importantly, Jesus was more vocal about what it was that he was for than what it was he was against. We're in the third week of Lent. Lent is a time of of preparation as we anticipate the resurrection of, of Easter. And so this weekend, I want us to meet Jesus at the table of grace and forgiveness. There's a story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7 beginning in verse 36. It's a bit of an awkward story, at least for those that lived it. In this story, Jesus is going to protest the self-righteousness of a religious leader, but also make his voice heard for a woman who was abused and exploited. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. That she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. 
Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want you to, for a moment, imagine the scene. There's a party happening, a dinner party that gets awkward and weird. You ever been to a dinner party that got awkward and weird? Maybe a Thanksgiving dinner in which the family gathers round and Someone brings up the topic of religion or politics and things get awfully uncomfortable. Jesus is in the home of a man named Simon. Simon is called a Pharisee. The Pharisees were a sect in Judaism. They lay the foundation for what would become known as rabbinic Judaism, a group of people that preserved the oral law handed down by Moses. Pharisees were not only religious, but they were also political. They had a desire for theocracy. They would stir people up for their agenda. The the name Pharisee quite literally means the separate ones. We're separate and better than everyone else. They were very legalistic. Now, the the Pharisees did believe deeply in their heart that they were doing good, that they were were right, that they were serving God with, with purity and heart. In their mind, they were defending Judaism from false doctrine. And yet, as we see in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus refers to the Pharisees as hypocrites six individual times. He refers to them as children of hell, whitewashed tomb, and a brood of vipers. Now, I suppose that if Jesus or anybody would refer to me as a child of hell, I might be offended. Jesus also accused them of leading people astray, of straining out the gnat, but swallowing the camel, meaning getting so focused on the small things that they ignored the big things. He said, you clean the outside of the cup 
while inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. In many ways, Jesus' life was a, a protest against the nation that had lost its way, against a group of religious people who needed a heart transplant, an inner transformation. And yet the Pharisees were like an overactive immune system that rejected the very thing that they needed to survive. So it's in the midst of this dinner party, Jesus, a Pharisee, and all of his guests, that an unnamed sinful woman walks into the room. Now, this would not have been unusual, though it seems odd to us that she would just walk in. Many homes in Jesus' day had an open courtyard with with fountains and trees and plants and flowers. And in wealthy homes, that was the place in which the meals were served, particularly parties and banquets. So Jesus is sitting in this open courtyard with all of the guests, and it was not uncommon for passerbyers to, to poke their heads in just to, to see what was going on. It was common. Now, we might think it weird if while we were eating dinner that someone starts staring in our window. We might even call the police. But in Jesus' day, it was not really all that uncommon. Well, in walks this sinful woman. She is not known by her name, just her past. Most believe she was a a prostitute. It was improper in this day to even speak about what it was that she did. This woman probably does not know peace, lives with an abundance of guilt and shame, probably has been abused, maybe feels hopeless. But then she learns that Jesus has come to town. She knows who he is. Maybe she's even heard him teach, maybe even interacted with him. So she walks in the door and stares down the contemptive look of the host, and she approaches Jesus, which would have been unthinkable. It's even possible that the servants would have rushed to dissuade her from such an act. But I wonder, if I read into the story, if Simon was sitting back, waved off the servants just to see how this story would play out. See, there are, just, there are certain people in society that you cannot freely approach. About 15, 16 years ago, I had a friend who held a public office and he received a bunch of tickets to go see a former president give a speech and asked if I wanted some. I said, sure, why not? I'll go, well, when do you get a chance to hear a president speak? And so I went with my family and we went to a very crowded arena, thousands and thousands of people. And as I walked up the steps into this arena, I was swarmed by Secret Service, and they're huge. They asked me to come with them. They escorted me away from my family. They asked me to take off my jacket. They gave me a full pat down, searched everything, my pockets. When they were done, they said, sorry, sir, you fit a profile, and then let me go. Like, what, what, is, what is my face saying that I fit a profile? 
See, there are certain people you cannot freely approach, the president being one of them. So this woman, she approaches Jesus. A woman, especially a prostitute, should not have been able to approach this holy man, this prophet, this religious teacher. But instead of rejecting her, Jesus welcomes her. And everyone is speechless. She's a mess. Scriptures say she's weeping. And it is an ugly cry. Not just a few tears in the corners of the eyes, but she's got snot. Mascara's dripping. Like, we know this because she's crying so hard that the tears are running off of her face and dripping onto the ground. That, that, my friends, is an ugly cry. She has a vial around her neck, a vial of perfume. This perfume was probably worth her whole life. Many in Jesus' day invested in expensive vials of perfume, kind of like a retirement plan. It was much easier to carry and store than gold, and so many would invest in these expensive oils and perfumes and wear them around their neck for safekeeping. It was probably everything that she had. The weeping is so much that her tears fall off of her cheeks onto the feet of Jesus, and then she lets down her hair, and in that moment, there was probably an audible gasp because women did not let down their hair in public. In Jesus' day, a woman letting down her hair in public would have been the equivalent of her stripping down naked. The only person that a woman let her hair down for in Judaism was her husband. And if it was done in public, it was grounds for divorce. Then she takes this expensive vial of oil and pours it on the feet of Jesus as a profound expression of love and gratitude, literally giving Jesus everything that she has. But it's not just the oil that she places at his feet. It's all of her guilt, all of her shame, all of her failure. And Jesus welcomes her. I think in Western American culture, we don't know what to do with guilt and shame. We all have a moral compass, every one of us. And when we stray off course, when we violate that moral compass, we try to hide. The word shame means to cover up or to hide. You ever done something you were embarrassed by and you tried to conceal it? I was on an airplane traveling from Amsterdam to India. As the plane was boarding, I bought a cup of coffee. I was sitting in the waiting area, and when they called my group, I got up to board the plane, grabbed the cup of the coffee by the top, and the lid popped off, and the entire contents poured down my lap just as I was getting on the plane. And it looked exactly like you think it would look. I was so embarrassed. I tried to take off my, my I had a, sh- a shirt, like a jacket, and I tried to put it over and cover everything as I'm getting on the plane, hoping no one will see me, sat down in my seat, put the jacket over me. I was so embarrassed, excessive shame. Some of us carry so much shame and guilt that it's led to depression, maybe even anxiety. 
It festers and grows in the dark. But we shame each other. There's a phrase that I hate when someone says it to me. Mike, shame on you. The ultimate phrase of belittlement. I think shame is a a great tool of the devil. And so God has given us a gift. We refer to it in the Christian faith simply as a practice of confession. In the book of James, chapter 5, James, Jesus' brother, writes, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, that this, this whole episode, the woman in Jesus, is one big act of confession. She made herself very public, and she went to a loving, kind, and safe person and unburdened herself. I mean, she knew who she was, but she also knew who Jesus was. And though I suppose she walked in crying tears of guilt and shame, she walked away healed. She walked away justified. She walked away complete. But see, there was something else going on in the room that day, something equally as awful, a disease of sorts. Maybe we could even call it the disease of self-righteousness. Because Simon thinks to himself, how could Jesus let that person touch him? I mean, Jesus knows what Simon is thinking. Simon is self-righteous. Thinks he's better than everybody else. I mean, that's what self-righteous people do. Well, of course I'm better than you. I'm right and you're wrong. You ever had someone in your life that was so self-righteous that no matter what you did, you were always wrong and they were always right? I had this roommate in college. This guy, I was always wrong. I was always dumb. I was always the idiot. So one day I come into our room and he's ironing his clothes and the wrinkles aren't coming out and he is so frustrated. And I said, hey, brother, can I help you? No, I'm like, I know what I'm doing, Jeremy. And I got the whole self-righteous act. And I said, all right, I'm not going to help you, but you might want to plug it in first. And I walked away justified. I'm way better than those people. And that's Simon. Quite frankly, I don't think Simon was even amazed at Jesus at all. He probably saw Jesus as this dusty prophet from Nazareth who, whose claims came across as delusional. And we know he didn't respect Jesus because he didn't even offer him a bowl of water to wash his feet at the door, which was common courtesy in every household. I mean, he thought no holy man will let this woman do what she's doing. Maybe he even began to rehearse in his mind what he would report back to the religious council. And so Jesus, as Jesus so often does, chooses to tell a story. And he tells a story about two people who owed a debt. One a great debt, one a small debt. And because they could not pay it back, Jesus forgives them both. And then the lender forgives them both. And Jesus asks Simon, which one of them do you think was more grateful, the one that owed a lot of money or the one that owed a little bit of money? And, well, duh, of course, the one that 
own the larger amount. And Jesus said, see this woman? She's been forgiven so much. But you, Simon, you didn't even offer me the common courtesy that is expressed in every Jewish home that I know. See, in every Jewish home, common courtesy would dictate that the host would put his hand on the shoulder of his guest, kiss him on the cheek as a sign of peace, and then offer a bowl of water so that his feet could be washed from the dusty, dirty streets. Then often a small vial of oil would be presented and poured on the guest's head as a gesture of kindness and welcome. And Simon did not do any of those things, did not show Jesus the honor. It would have been seen as disrespectful. But this woman, this sinful woman, Simon, did what you refused to do. See, as I read this story, I've come to believe that that God delights in offering us abundant grace and forgiveness. I think for many of us, the, the God of our unredeemed imagination has such a small and shriveled heart that we see him more of a judge and an accuser. And yet the scripture teaches that God delights in grace and forgiveness. It is his mission. Jesus said, I will save my people from their sins through forgiveness. Now, yes, of course, I think we can all agree that God is also holy. I think the woman believed that, which is why she came to Jesus in tears. Her tears were an observable action of this inward state. I suppose she approached Jesus with with holy grief, with tears of repentance, but left with tears of joy and gratitude. See, her tears, as she laid them at the feet of Jesus, were her prayer. The psalmist writes, those who so tears will reap joy. And this woman expressed herself not with a loud voice, but with quiet action, and God saw the heart and declared her whole. Jesus said, go in peace. See, the Pharisee chose to see the woman's past, but Jesus saw the love and potential in the human heart. And that woman walked away healed. So this morning, maybe you identify with the Pharisee. Maybe if if you're being honest that you look at certain types of people down your nose and think, at least I'm not like them. Oh, I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not a murderer. Like, when has murderer become the standard? Or, yeah, I I lack some self-control, but at least I'm not committing adultery or addicted to heroin. Like, when has any of that become the standard? It's maybe like like the Pharisee. We've become a bit self-righteous. We need to offer ourselves afresh to Jesus. Or maybe you identify with the woman. Maybe this morning you're carrying a load of guilt and shame. Maybe no one even knows about it, but it is causing such anxiety. And Jesus invites you to the table of grace and forgiveness and welcomes you with arms wide open. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. 
And as they do, I, I hope we can read this story and be reminded that God's fundamental way of transforming people is through his offer of grace and forgiveness. In the midst of his own holiness, he has chosen to come and be a part. He's offering you an invitation to come sit with him at the table. Maybe we need a little less noise and a few more tears. As Jesus opens his arms and welcomes us as a father welcomes a child. So God, this morning, on this third week of Lent, as we anticipate the resurrection of your son, the glory of Easter, we enter into this story with humble and contrite hearts as we see Jesus lavish extravagant love and grace and forgiveness on a very broken individual. This morning we say with the angels, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We acknowledge your holiness. We receive your kindness and your goodness. We confess our sins to you, our faults. I've, I ask you, O oh God, to forgive me for the times I've been the Pharisee, the self-righteous, but also, God, for the times I've borne the guilt and shame of my own actions. And I place them at your feet, and I receive your forgiveness. Amen. So go now in peace and you leave with hearts of gratitude, knowing that God delights in you and has invited you to the table. Amen.